There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast, which we still have not named yet. Uh, I am JB, and as always, I am joined by, well, the three airmen. Oh, the three airmen. There you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Nice. Doug, how are you? I'm good, yeah. How are you doing? I'm, I'm okay. Porky? Yeah. Here, present, ready to speak. And of course, God is. Um, we didn't introduce you last time. Are we, oh, just, well, are we I, just assuming that people know who you are? I'm kind of a big deal. I mean, <laughs> uh, when they see you somewhere, they'll, they'll, they'll notice me. Uh, I was thinking, how long ago was it when you boys went through training? Let, let's, uh, let's start. Uh, let's start with parking. Way the back. Early Triassic period. Yeah, yeah. before man flight. We, you we jumped off those dinosaurs, flapping our wings. Uh, 1984. 1984. Mm. Did, did you do a flying scholarship or anything like that? Oh yeah, yeah, that? I did actually with the cadets. I was let loose at 17 in a Piper Tomahawk. God, how I survived that. But yeah, as a little cadet with a beret, I got uh, 30 hours free flying, and uh, and got my pilot's license at 17. Yeah, and then went straight into the RAF. Uh, a bit of officer training and then I guess I was just 19 and uh, went on to jets now am I am I really thinking you've got uh, is it the most hours in fast jets I, oh, I don't know about that I've probably got 6,000 hours fast jets something like that so, that, that is actually quite a lot I can't yeah. imagine there are many people on the planet with much more than that is that right jets. that's pretty cool isn't it but, but I, I'm very lucky I, if I was a so how, much total, how much total have you got? 7,200 ish. Yeah, yeah. So, but what, what is usual for a career? It's difficult well, to say because they. Well, me, I'm a shade. So, you know, I'm not a. I haven't stayed flying my entire career. So, whatever it is, 27 years now, I've been in and out of four or five ground tours. But I've got a shade under 3,000 hours, something like that. So, okay. I'd say that was probably about normal. So, you're. Yeah, it's a full club. That. Yeah, I, mean, I managed to stay flying the whole time. What are you on, Dunk, then? Just under five. Okay. There's uh, guys in training get quite a lot of hours, don't they? Um, yeah. Know, so and so I've never done a, a, a tour on the Harrier, but uh, you know, I remember guys coming out of Valley with uh, with that, you know, literally maybe a, what a couple of thousand hours. Good God, you, hours. you've got nearly a whole year in the sky. Blimey, I am quite old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, That's incredible. Uh, yeah. I, I 
the lucky thing I, I managed to get a thousand hours that's always the um, the kind of the badge to have I think is to get a thousand hours on any aircraft type you yeah. tell you get a badge like a little cup scout you're looking at me aren't you because I haven't got a thousand hours on any aircraft have you not nope <laughs> oh, sorry they've had to write good they've shuffled so one side why are you with us so uh, the podcast with Parkin Dunk <laughs> 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 How many thousand hour badges have you got, Doug? I have got two. Okay. Two. Let me guess. Sarah, Hawk, Hawk and Harrier. Hawk and Harrier. Yeah. Yeah, see, I was just moving around yeah. the place, you know. I know. I was. I think I got nine hundred and sixty-five. Well, you so must have just stayed thing. flying, or well, you must have near two thousand on Hawk. Fifteen hundred-ish Hawk, and I've, then a. I've got. I think I've got. If if not two, very yeah. You two. We did, you did reds and. Teach taught on it. Teach, I teach think it. I am the only one here who did their logbook properly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I think there's a few minutes for Parky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I managed actually to, got seven thousand hours. I managed to blag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you might have the odd five minutes, but no, I got got eleven hundred F four, about thirteen hundred F three. 1200 and a bit typhoon that's quite good 1500 so 4 4000 hour badges how did you get 1000 on F16 during that no I didn't no I didn't so I got 6, 570 F16 ah uh-huh. I got 571 <laughs> there you go have you got a badge that says that I've got, I've got a plaque up in my toilet <laughs> how many hours you get F16 so, so is it 500 it's 560 something I think look JB's <laughs> trying to stop me. Yeah, <laughs> so this, this, is, this is like a completely <laughs> different world to me is this like do you know where cricketers celebrate half centuries and centuries yeah probably it's kind of like that yeah. it's kind of like that there's definitely you know a thousand hour badge is something that people you know are proud of for sure you know to, to have that amount of experience I'm, I'm not well you don't know what it feels like no no I'm very operational though yeah (laughs) but equally it's good to to fly different jets as well I think you know you do I see some boys with uh, but you know like with 4,000 hour tornado badges and I oh no there were guys with so finishing up at Lossy um just last year, there were, we closed down um, the last tornado squadron out there, 15 squadron. There was a couple of guys on there with over 5,000 yeah. hours tornado. I mean, so just wow. unbelievable. I almost feel for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor blokes. Yes, yeah, so you added that up. That's almost a year in the same aeroplane. Yeah. Um, flying yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's quite something. So, did... Did you all go through the same process? And what what is the process to get this qualified? This is where it's interesting. It's all completely different, isn't it? Yeah. So, so did you do a fine scholarship, though? No, I tried, but they... <laughs> they <laughs> recoursed on that. Yeah, I was recoursed on that, yeah. <laughs> they said, no thanks, Mr. Didn't Mason. start brilliantly for you, did it? Didn't start brilliantly for I'm surprised it got in a double. <laughs> Have you stolen someone's identity? Yes. How are you here? Yes, there may be... Uh, it could be that the... Um, yeah I don't quite know how I managed to get in in the first place but I did but yeah I didn't do a flying scholarship so I did I was gliding I started gliding in the cadets actually oh, of course you did, yeah. so I started gliding when I was uh, 14 yeah so isn't it interesting that all three of you have kind of gone through the same process I, you, you were into it from cadets were you a cadet yeah Parky yeah oh, I was yeah. I, I definitely yeah. buy I don't know as long as I can remember yeah, 12, 13 I was just into aircraft and wanted to be a pilot and wanted to join the RAF and if at all possible get my stickies on something fast and pointy 
as a fast chair and that was it that was my absolute goal but you must have had you know because that doesn't run in the family does it well my yeah my granddad was uh was in the royal flying corps and day one of the RAF. so he you know the oh wow royal flying corps you know first of april you know almost 100 years ago he he i've got a picture of him in his sort of first blue uniform so is that what inspired you to join yeah him? well i always knew that he was you know i've got his wings you know his rf wings george fifth wings and stuff so yeah that was you know there but i just i just loved aircraft i thought they were you know, you know just I, I was the same you know i grew up next to kenley airfield battle britain yeah airfield um my dad used to build models and hang them in my brother's room uh we shared a room uh, so there was a little battle of Britain going on in the sky and uh, I think it was five years old I got lost on the uh, on the aerodrome looking for Germans and skeletons as we said at the time in, in some of the old shelters and stuff like that they got picked up by the police because uh, <laughs> my parents had phoned in that were, you know me and my mate were missing um, and then I do remember 19 I, I was thinking about this it must have been uh, a an Air Force anniversary air show because they didn't do them at Kenley every year so it must have been 1978 and I remember saying seeing a Spitfire and Hurricane and telling my dad at that particular time right I'm going to do that so, which was flipping amazing one of the proudest moments of my life was coming back over Kenley in a Hurricane and then a Spitfire um, you know, me and you wasn't it yeah, yeah, so the first time, remember we met yeah, up. Yeah. Surprise, you found it then. That's true. <laughs> it's more, more luck than judgment. So, uh, you know, after that, there was only one thing. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and then... Uh, so, you be- so you both had sort of uh, a route into it, effectively. For me, I was sat at school with, with my mate, Tim, next to me, and I said, what are you doing tonight? He said, I'm going to a thing called Air Cadets. I said, well, what's Air Cadets? He said, well, it's like scouts, but with flying. I said, oh, well, I'll come. So I went along to that, and within sort of four or five months, flying on a chipmunk, and the guy, I, I, I still remember his name, Flatton Lockwood, his name was, and he took and did a, said, do you want to do a loop? I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do a loop. Did a loop in the chipmunk, and that for me was me hooking. Did you scream all the way around? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so for me, but I had no connection to it. I had an uncle who was an engineer in the Air Force, but no connection at all until I went flying and went, wow. Oh, it's a that's my, what my I wanted. connection was only location, and yeah. you know, um, the Battle of Britain happened over yeah. the top and you know right mm. next door to uh, uh, to where we lived. Yeah, you know, I guess the difference between you and Parky though is that Parky was around during the Battle during the Battle of Britain, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, a little exactly. bit earlier. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. very badly. Burned. When those first monoplanes. <laughs> 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 is he badly burned? <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, training. How yeah. we got so, into it. So, what was your training difference? To God, to Goddess and Dunks. I, I had a slight balloons were yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very different. They were buggers of time. I had a slightly strange uh, start, to be honest, because um, I can vividly remember you know, the, the route at the time was to go Jet Provost. Uh, if you done uh, if you done a little bit of flying, you went JP3s, which were the slower jet provosts at Linton and Fenton. Yeah. And if you'd done university air squadron flying, I didn't go to university, I did my A-levels, then you could go to the JP5, which was a faster jet provost, and that was at Cranwell. So there were these three bases. And on officer training, all the pilots got into a room and they said, right, this intake, there were four slots in Texas in uh, USA flying I think all the T-37 tweet mm. and the T-38 Talon which is so like yeah the there you go so uh, it was like that'd be cool you know but thought nothing more about it and then uh, 
you know, sort of the another meeting it was like four names read out my name was there and it's like oh my word and you know literally I remember opening trying to find a book and looking up a picture of a T-38 I go that's cool <laughs> I'll get to fly that you know and it was six months on a T-37 so yeah just had my 20th birthday and I was let loose in a supersonic T-38 T-38 is that like um, is that like a uh, what's it a F-5 F-5, F-5. F-5. Freedom one, fighter, yeah. yeah so tiny so little the, wings the baddies in Top Gun that's yep. the one that's exactly it the, uh, the MiGs in, in yeah, Top Gun allegedly MiG, MiG-28s yeah the, yeah those were F-5s and the uh, T-38 was the two-seat and it, it, just flying that thing I remember you couldn't from where you sit you couldn't see the wings it's like that's cool <laughs> they, they, they were tiny wings but you know it was just brilliant you know and it was I think probably for all of us you know you pinch yourself that you know this dream you're doing it and it you know it's without doubt it's hard work and it's a bit of a brutal at times and you think you're not going to hack it and you definitely have bad trips but it is a fabulous experience doing pilot training but just go back to you know because I think for anyone listening who uh, especially cadets or people thinking of joining the cadets so we all had different routes in the, in the first place. So, you know, I was at school, got told to uh, look at that, you, you know, so it was, uh, I was in the CCF um, at school and it was the liaison, the careers liaison guy told me to apply for a sixth form scholarship. So I went to Biggin Hill when I was 16 years old, did the aptitude test. Um, and we were talking about this earlier in that I did the aptitude test and you do the aptitude test, then you do a bunch of interviews. Um, but when I did the aptitude test, I was marginal for pilot, and I failed navigator because of my mental arithmetic. And I had a friend with me from school at the time who um, had exactly the same thing. He went, oh, I'm not going to make it now because this sixth form scholarship was so competitive. He, you know, there's a bunch of people that walked away knowing that, that, you know, that they might not have a chance, but I thought, well, this is what I want to do. I'm going to stay in there. Um, and amazingly, got one of these sixth form scholarships, ended up with you mentioned 30 hours of pre-flying that's why I got 17 years old down at Red Hill yeah. Aerodrome yeah. flying a Cessna um, I mean flipping it unbelievable I, couldn't, I didn't have a driving licence I had mates of mine drive me down yeah. once I'd got my pilot's licence which was an extra 10 hours of flying I had mates drive me down to the airport to go and take them flying two 17 year olds in, uh, in an aeroplane um, and then that meant when I uh, the scholarship also gave me a place at Cranwell for officer training and when I finished that because I had my pilot's license, I went straight onto the, the jet JP5. Boss, the JP5. Yeah. You know, so again, flying a 360 knot jet at 18 years old, which is ridiculous. You know, I, I just, I can't imagine if, if I was 18 again, you know, I'd, I'd definitely do a double take. But a completely different routine. And, you know, I, I didn't go to university. In fact, none of us did. None of us went to university, did we? All wooden tops. Yeah, exactly. What is a wooden top? So uh, it's a, a, a descriptor for those that haven't been to universities that are a bit, uh, a, bit <laughs> yeah, a bit thick up top. <laughs> so you know, there you go. We, yeah. don't, we don't know much. Turns out that it turns out that I was a wooden top there. <laughs> Good man. Uh, that that's fascinating because I would actually assume that everyone who's flying fast jets has some sort of phys- uh, degree in physics or some such thing. It is cross section I can remember on my valley course there was a mate who literally got a first in physics from Cambridge you know what and it's valley course sorry yeah so that was uh, flying the hawk so and that's, that's, an that's advanced flying training yeah so you know Goddess talks about the jet provost so you sit side by side 300 mile an hour I mean, it's that sort of speed but pretty impressive yeah I remember but then the Hawk is a quantum leap up and you know a bit like the T-38 I mentioned but you're talking you know you do 450 fairly easily you know 7G it's a real proper jet 
Um, and you know, again, you you know, the, the, some of the guys on the course absolutely were, without doubt, exceptionally bright people. But actually, I think flying and you know doing pilot training, you know, probably handy to have a degree in physics, but it's not required, is it? You know, it's just more the coordination I still don't and the understand how they fly. <laughs> how do they fly it's magic, <laughs> magic. I was so relieved when Harry Potter came out <laughs> uh, but uh, I think that I, I don't know if it is what it shows is you've got the academic uh, skill set to you know to perhaps put in that amount of work to. but you say oh it might be handy to have a degree in physics why? Yeah, you are. The only reason is to to show that you've got some academic yep. rigor. Yeah, right? you know, there was definitely something about. Um, I, I just remember going through officer training, and um, you know, maturity. It might be that someone is a little bit more mature once they've been through three years of living life at university. You know, that's probably the half of it, mm-hmm. rather than the actual. That's what uh, I got. So yeah, of course. That, yeah, <laughs> well, that's an interesting point. Dunk. <laughs> Dunk's recourse at officer training. Yeah, However, maturity, you say, Dunk. It's a whole episode. <laughs> yeah, we might do an episode on that. I remember the day yeah. we were sharing a room at, um, was it number two mess, was it called? Or uh, number, number one, one mess? Number, number one mess. When Dunk broke the news and uh, we had a big cry uh, together. <laughs> what? That was back course. Yeah. <laughs> what was back course? Were you very understanding? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I pushed him out of that room as quickly. I went through so the, the back course bit is uh, that I oh, we're go doing through this now. Right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. When Jamie asked the question, I want to know. <laughs> so uh, as we, we we went through officer training. Uh, you go through um, eighteen weeks as it was then. Uh, it's changed now. I think it's twenty four. Yeah, a bit of yeah. yeah, but uh, so yeah, went up. It's coming back down to twenty four. Yeah, it's something I heard the other day. Yeah. Right, but uh, we went through those eighteen weeks. At the end of those, uh, was sixteen weeks effectively, isn't it? That you uh, you get told if you've passed, and it's called Black Monday. So. Black Monday would come and it, you'd get marched into the office and uh, most people would come out with a smile and you know that look of relief I've done it I'm alright uh, and then it was effectively you know the people that passed went one way <laughs> you could see them going one way and they go Mason you're doing an extra six weeks but you don't go that way you go to the other room down there and I just remember there was uh, there was about eight or nine of us just sat in this room looking dejected <laughs> well six more weeks training for us then so uh, well, it's it, good that they did that, right? So it was an automatic cut. It was a you know just go back, give yeah, it another go. Yeah. In fact, it wasn't. Over. I got twelve weeks. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't even six. Oh, it was twelve. Oh, that's right. <laughs> You yeah. had to go back to basic reading. <laughs> I had to go right the way back. But, but you know, and uh, sadly, then after another, because you then get to know a whole bunch of new people. After six weeks, they said, we don't know why you're here. And they upcoursed me. So I ended up only doing six weeks. And then I went and graduated with a bunch of people. I had no idea who they were. They just sort of, no, nope, you're ready, go and graduate. You had so a torrid time. I had a torrid time, time, yeah. It explains a lot. It does. <laughs> so what did they upcourse you for? Well... <laughs> I'll let you guess. What the, uh, it's difficult, isn't it? Because the, these boys here that know me, these boys that well, we could do that. We could do that. We can absolutely do that. But um, no, that's not yeah, I, I was back course apparently for lack of officer qualities. I can't believe it. God, myself, but yeah, there you are. But the, there is a sort of moral here, isn't it? Which is there is a value to showing up and continuing just to show up. It's a never give up type. Yeah, you know, uh, in whether you're. Masters, these boys are looking at me now thinking I'm definitely a marginal pilot and, uh, there's no wonder you failed navigator as well but um, I, that, that's what it comes down to you know the, it, by any walk of life 
is just keep on going you know keep trying now you uh, sorry you know Dunk you are on kind of the other side of the telescope you're looking at it through the other side because you're now you're now instructing uh, well, yeah, I mean, I do instruct, but I actually, uh, I'm actually in assurance, effectively. So the the job I'm in with Central Flying School, where I guess to to make an analogy would be like the Ofsted of uh, of, of, oh. of training. So we go and look at uh, how training systems examine the examiners. Uh, yeah. yeah, we look at uh, how the instructors instruct, and then hopefully give feedback to them about how that might continue to improve. I, I think about saying that you've all had some level of instruction mm. or doing some level of instruction yeah. uh, can you regale me uh, a, a, cu- a couple of tales of people you just met and you've thought hang on why is this guy here and in fact whether it be training or coming through you think this isn't going to work you shouldn't be here my, my instruction was on tornado and typhoon and by that stage the boys could clearly fly a plane you know for them to have got through they've probably done two years of flying so actually then it was never as black and white as that yeah it was more just the capacity was they were just beginning to get maxed out whatever bit it was and it was you know give them a bit more teaching try and help them out and, and I, you know, I, I we always used to take the Mickey out of dunk that he was a brutal instructor. You know, one of those <laughs> horrid blokes that so, you'd get oh, to fly oh, with. Reveal the nickname, right? <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> what was your valley nickname? Right, so I guess you know, there's some instructors you have soft, cuddly nicknames for. You know, there's um, you know, Santa Claus. Yeah, Santa Claus. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, I've never heard of anyone <laughs> called Santa. So it's not in an ironic way. And I'd just like to point out <laughs> that I think my nickname was ironic. So, Tony, <laughs> that's it. Nickname from uh, several courses yep. that you. He was christened to? by the student pilot. Yeah, um, was actually skull crusher. <laughs> <laughs> skull crusher. That's not fluffy, is it? Uh, no, I don't believe it is. Well, ironic, actually, you reckon? You think it's ironic? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to get some some of the guys in here, wouldn't we? I don't know. Should we phone people up there? We're bound to have it. I thought I was. No, I think it's. Reasonable. I can text someone. Why was? Why but I mean, there must there must have been people that you met. Uh, you know, when you went, you know, when you first went to training. You know, when you first joined, you thought, "Hang on, this well, is going to work." Well, even when uh, when we were on IOT, what was it? Day two, the first Gulf War started. IOT initial officer training. Um, and I think we had 150 people you know, off the street at university uh, crossovers um, from different services, uh, non-commissioned officers who were going for their commission. Um, half the people off the street left, didn't they? Do you remember? There was a massive chunk of our intake. Now, bear in mind, it, this was just after the end of the Cold War, but what it was 20 minimum something like that people no. just left the next day because a war had started no. and it was one of those things they didn't expect to have Blimey. gone to war that's um, fascinating yeah so right there and then you know right at the very first part of your training uh suddenly there's a realisation that it, it's not what you signed up for um, yeah it's not just five side football and flying no exactly um, that's what I signed up for <laughs> <laughs> and a bit of beer <laughs> yeah, the old beer here and there um, so, so I just want to dig down a little deeper into the nickname Skullcrusher yeah it's good oh, good yes <laughs> yeah. I, I mean obviously you know uh, 
you know, nicknames exist for a reason. But why? Why do you? Why do you think it works for you that t- style of instruction? And how would you describe it? Well, to be honest, the uh, the guy. Are we going the, with the, ironic again? The, yeah, we're going with irony. No, the guy that uh, that, that I've, I found this out from is still in the air force. Uh, he's on the Red Arrows. Actually, he's uh, a guy called Smythe, Chris Lyndon Smith. Uh, back on the Reds. Back mm. on the Reds. Yes, yeah, I think it, was he on a documentary? He could have been. He well, almost yeah, certainly will have been. Yeah, almost been around a long time. But so he was one of my students going through, and uh, at the time, um, I, as has already been mentioned, bizarrely right from the get-go, I did used to have uh, quite an amount of hair, um, and I had all of that cut off, all of it cut off for a charitable event uh, at Valley, and that made me look considerably different. More aggressive. Yes, okay. a slightly aggressive character, perhaps. But um, So nothing to do with your personality? Well, I asked Marty about it. I was, I was, again, I was flying with the Reds uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and I asked him if he remembered that, which uh, he, he said he didn't. And I said, you know, what? why was that genuinely? And he said it was just the fact that, you know, people... Did, did you ask him when you were flying with him, or grabbing him by his lapel? <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Yeah, I know. I had him by the throat. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I don't know. I guess you would have to ask because clearly, you know. Well, we've flown with Duncan. You've he's not a skull crusher, is he? No, no. <laughs> I mean, we've obviously flown loads with each other. And, you know, there's some some strange bits when almost in your role now, Dunk will have to pretend to be a student pilot. So if you're instructing. I need to, you know, who will deliberately make some mistakes so I can assess him and hopefully give him some top tips. And again, just some of the things that we've done flying that I've just thought that is an unbelievable mistake you're making and almost wanted to have a bicker in the air, but then had to correct this, this stupid, obvious error that he's doing and not even on purpose pointing at the runway. I mean, at one time, I remember it was... The trouble is, Bucky, I've said it before, sadly, for people you, do. I have seen that <laughs> error and that to that magnitude. And you're like, oh, no one could ever do that. And you yeah. do think no one would ever do that. But they do. Um, and, and that's the sort of game that I've, I mean, I've been in for a long time, whether it be instructing at Valley. Uh, and now I instruct, you know, and I see uh, people instructing across the spectrum of, uh, of pilot training. And sadly, you still, I still sit there today and go, that guy hasn't done that. Surely he's, he's taken the mick. That can't be right. But they do. They I, do I, make I, those I, I, You know, so I... I, I, I different type of instructing the, the instructing I did um, because you know you did the qualified flying instructor QFI route you know where t- teaching guys from scratch which is you know a, a difficult art I went down the qualified weapons instructor route so it was more most of the time you were uh, not necessarily teaching but you were um, you know the lead in terms of weapons in terms of, you know how they work the tactics that sort of thing on a, on a frontline squadron but I did go back and, and instruct on the uh, on the Harrier conversion unit that was slightly terrifying in certain areas because you could make a Harrier fall out the sky um, quite easily and, and the guys would go through the course the first half of the course was all about flying the aeroplane it was all about hovering it was all about understanding the systems and then the second part was about the weaponeering about you know how you're going to operate the aeroplane um and for and you know on certain cases guys would 
forget everything they'd learned in the first half of the course on the second half of the course. So even though I wasn't a flying instructor, I'd have everything wedged against all the levers in the cockpit so they didn't pull the wrong one at the wrong time and fall out the sky in, in some sort of, you know, a rolling vertical landing or, or, or something and, like that. Um, and was this in, was this in, the, in the two-seater that these had? Yes, was this? yeah. In the, so that was in the... Um, I think we'd upgraded to... We had. We'd upgraded to the T10 because when we when Duncan and I went through the Harrier course initially, we were on the really old T4... Um, and then we go away, do some simulators, and the first time you flew the new Harrier, the GR7, uh, as it was then, that was the first time you flew the new Harrier. Um, but I did uh, one of my once I've been through the weapons instructor course, I went back to my frontline squadron, and the guy's still in the Air Force, so I will not be uh, be giving any names. Um, but uh, I remember doing what was termed uh, a QY QWY check uh, on on this guy. Um, and uh, he bombed the wrong target uh, in the uh, in the, the air range that we went to. Um, and then when we came back, you know, you've got a, a, a strip of concrete, a, a runway. Um, will generally take off uh, in a particular direction based on the wind. So you know you want to take off into wind most of the time. Um, and so I forget what the runways were at Cottesmore. Um, they were westerly, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Like, I go for um, north. So, North east, south west. I go for zero five two three. But it was runway two three, um, and this guy joins for completely the opposite runway. And I thought, well, this is my first time doing this check on a squadron. I wonder if someone has told him to do this <laughs> just in case. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wasn't willing to say anything in the air. And uh, so it, it's it, one of the things is in, in, in instructing, and these guys are going to tell you much more than me, but how far you let that yeah. individual go before you either say something or Intervene, do something yeah. about it. Because, you know, they learn a bit more about it, or they might just, they'll always tell you they were just about to do that. You know, when you do, <laughs> when you do take control or tell them to do something. I know I always did when I was fun with it. But, um, <laughs> but um, it was, I'd left it quite late and thought, I'm going to have to say something. I said, mate, what runway uh, are you joining for? He said, uh, you know, this particular runway. And I went, just double check with their traffic what runway it is. He asked them, and it was completely different one. We were really close at this particular point. He ended up having to do this big, you know, orbit back round and was the most embarrassed I've ever seen this. This individual never showed weakness ever, but um, was so embarrassed when we, uh, when we got on the ground. Um, to this day I'm not entirely sure that wasn't a put up either but it's just you know again that was my first day let loose on you know having come out of this instructional course um, I, I guess is the point that you never quite know what people are going to do mm. sometimes and, and, these, and these are naturally competent individuals it's just something which happens it's you know and a lot of it is because they're on a check ride yeah. you know the, the pressure that it's like your driving test you always mess up more don't you, you know? yeah and, and you know you end up having a lot of these throughout on, a, on an annual basis you mean you've got various flying instructor checks weapons instructor checks ops checks instrument checks you know all of these sorts of things so that you remain competent and uh, you just throw in a crazy Ivan every now and again <laughs> <laughs> tell me one from each of you or multiple from each of you I don't really care uh, what's the biggest mistake that you've made in the air Oof, blimey that wow. could be any number of things wow I mean <clears throat> I, I, I'll start <laughs> I've got a good one. Who? Okay. I mean, briefly, I, I remember <clears throat> scrambling in a Phantom, you know, as a sort of exercise. It was probably, you know, day three, so you haven't slept brilliantly well. 
it's uh, it's you simulating you at war, and we just it's got airborne as a singleton, but lots of phantoms scrambling. So literally, like the Battle of Britain, as soon as you can get airborne, crank up your phantom, you just take off and probably form up in the air. And uh, prior to the sort of forming up with other phantoms, we were literally vectored straight onto a light scramble. Yeah, uh, when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And no, it was in an exercise. Oh, so just sorry. yeah, we were then vectored straight onto a, you know, uh, attacking formation. So you know, in some buccaneer aircraft pretending to be uh, the bandits, and uh, you know, essentially I hadn't <laughs> bugged my radar altimeter to the height, so I hadn't done some of the checks and. You know, I thought I was flying over some sort of broken cloud and I saw the Buccaneers from quite far out descend into it and the Phantom didn't have brilliant radar performance on the beam so I was just going to duck What does that down. mean? What does radar performance beam. mean? So it, it means it's looking in velocity so as the as, as I'm hitting 90 degrees I'm not. they're not pointing at me as they go more onto, uh, you know, at the beam uh, uh, you know, I'm at 90 degrees to them I can't see them yeah. so I descended down through the cloud to try and see them below the cloud and all of this happened in hindsight sort of in slow motion and as I was descending down I thought this isn't you know I could see the sea surface but I suddenly realized that I was in fog and I was much lower and I thought I was at a couple of thousand feet and I was probably at 500 feet you know and, and the whole thing in slow motion and you know I, I then saw sort of waves and put the reheat in and climbed away and uh, and missed the sea but that without doubt was just absolutely a lesson for me and you know did you, did you have an experience going in the back yeah, yeah, and again, he he was looking at the radar at the time, you know. And we landed, and uh, you know, boy, we that must really both, both held our hands up. Absolutely, you know, very bad. That must really, really shake your confidence. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it did, and you know, it was just a, a very unsettling, un, uh, you know, just that that feeling of almost near death. You know, that's I how know, it felt to me. Do you think me. it shakes your confidence? I, I think with the, we've all had things like that. I think what it does is it's a very <laughs> good lesson. There, there, yeah, a salutary lesson. You know, there's. 
there are sadly um, numerous scores, maybe hundreds of aviators that aren't here that just you know had the bad luck just to go the other side of that. I mean, you might have hit the sea that day, yeah. and then you you'd have been you know on the other side of that fence, sadly. But um, thankfully, you, you know you t- the reason Parkinson is you know we put our hands up and we come back and we debrief all these things and we say crikey this is what happened to me today is so that well certainly you are you know Parky will have learned that that lesson and it stayed with him all the way through his flying career and you hope then that other people that are within that formation learn that lesson as well and I mean what was the lesson to learn that because it's also well, there's some rules, rules but lots of high checks you know and you know I was my mistake was I visually thought I could just fly looking at the sea and you know and I thought it was a very very thin cloud layer that I would come below it and it would be lovely blue sky and great visibility below and it was it, it was weird it was a sort of sea fog called the Har up in Scotland and it it really to this day I can picture it like it was yesterday you know we're talking 30 years ago probably to the day but it visually I should have transitioned onto instruments and, and done high checks but, but I didn't and, and the guy in the back exactly the same thing he thought we were high and we weren't it's interesting, and, but it, it happened so quick you know we're talking you, know, you can get quite a rate of descent on obviously and you know probably the whole episode took I don't know, five seconds. But isn't it interesting that you had an experienced aviator behind you who also did the same thing? Yeah, yeah. My navigator. Never, but you, you never, you know, become so. We're talking hours, number of hours that we've got. You never become so experienced that these things don't happen to you. You're always in an environment. All of us that are, you know, we're still in aviation in one sphere or another, mm. and doesn't matter you know I still fly with with students that are, are going through training now um, and you can find yourselves very quickly that's the thing in an airplane uh, particularly when you're going through fast jet training that things develop at, at a very very quickly and you can find yourself in trouble um, I- extremely fast you need to be able to recognize that and do something about it and just having all that experience it gives you an advantage that you may expect what to look for uh, but there'll always be something in aviation that uh, you won't have seen before and that you will learn from that day I think you know it's an absolutely uh, true statement when people say every time you go flying you'll learn something um, and it, for anyone it no, matter, school day. no matter how mm. experienced they are what's your one then well so I'll, I'll say one of them now I've got a, another one that um, wasn't necessarily you know this, this particular one was one where I thought uh, Right, that's it. I'm either ejecting or I'm crashing uh, off the end of the runway. In fact, I did crash off the end of the runway. Um, but it was uh, I was delivering a Harrier from a Germany squadron uh, that I was on to a, uh, a UK squadron, one squadron at Wittering. And, uh, I mean, I guess I was what, 23, 24 years old, something along uh, those sorts of lines uh, at that particular point. And... Um, I remember it was that previous week I just asked my flight commander oh, and how come I wasn't selected to do the uh, you know the 12 ship Harrier hovering display at Farnborough and he said well you know I think we've only selected experienced guys I went oh you know and sort of humped off um, and uh, so delivered this aeroplane and was just doing a few circuits and the thing in the Harrier was um, you know an awful lot of aeroplanes you just when you've finished what you're doing in terms of an exercise and operation, those sorts of things, you bring it back and you land it. The Harrier, because of the different modes of landing, you know, you had a conventional landing, which was 
um, with the nozzles on the engine pointing backwards you could you know, just take off and land normally like any other aeroplane. Um, you had a, uh, a fixed throttle approach where you'd fix the throttle in case you'd had a bird strike or something like that at 75%, whatever it happened to be. Then you would vary the nozzles and try and come in and, and land. Uh. Quite long runs, both of them, uh, in terms of the rollout on the runway because you're landing quite fast. Um, you had the obviously slowing down into a hover and landing vertically. You had a, um, a rolling vertical landing as well, which was... Can't remember the speed of it now. Fifty knots, mm-hmm. yeah, fifty knots. Um, and so I, you know, was trying all of these different. You know, there was gas to use, there was uh, fuel in the jet, so I was trying all these, uh, uh, you know, these different ways of landing. And I was doing a conventional, so it was quite a fast landing speed. But conversely, I was on the runway for quite a long period of time. Um, you did, the Harry had quite small brakes, a bit like a standard Volvo, um, and so you generally didn't use the brakes at high speed in, in a uh, in a Harrier. So I was letting it slow down naturally, and then a Harrier as well, because the engine sped up so quickly when you put the throttle forward, you got quite used to slamming the throttle forward right towards the end of the runway, which is not something you do in any other you know uh, aeroplane. You know, we'd be what two three thousand feet three to go yeah. yeah three to go is when you would you know power up so about three thousand foot to go i'd uh, um put everything where it should be and unbeknownst to me there was a um uh there was a particular caption that came on after a certain amount of period of time on the ground and it was this flaps caption because the harrier had huge great flaps at the back of the wing that used to come down and provide lift all the way down to about 30 knots but if you took off with your nozzles down um, and then move the nozzles back into these flaps it could cause an uncontrollable pitch down oh so if this had happened if, if you had this particular caution so I saw this caution the very first thing I did and I was doing about 100 knots was shut the throttle as soon as I shut that throttle I knew I just made a massive error because I'm now looking at and I was it was on the easterly runway at Wittering which has got the A1 in front of it I could see this <sighs> Stobie lorry at my right you know, two o'clock. Do you think I'll have it? I thought, I'm going to end up in this lorry. This is going to be like the Blues Brothers when, he's, when he says, this is car 54, I'm in a truck. So anyway, so shut the throttle and I thought, right, I'm now committed to stopping because it's now too late to open the throttle again. Was that flap caption a spurious thing? or was Yeah, it, well, no, or, so it, not spurious, but would it have come on? It wasn't like a showstopper. You could have got airborne again. Yes, okay. I could have got airborne. Um, but what actually happened was that I shut the throttle, thought, right, I'm committed to stopping now. So did slam on the brakes at that particular point, you know, and the brakes were doing nothing because of the Volvo brakes. And, you know, they, it, the Harrier had, you know, the nose wheel, the main wheels underneath you, um, and then out on the edges had two outrigger wheels, you know, yeah. because otherwise it was a, a bicycle. And um, it wasn't, it just wasn't slowing down at all. So I put the, the nozzles into the braking stop. So the nozzles on the Harrier, the, the engine exhaust, rotated all the way around to 90 Eight, nine. I knew we'd end up having Harrier ground school. (laughs) I knew this would happen. 99 degrees, so they're pointing forward, so you could power up, and this would give you a level of reverse thrust. Um, But you could only power up to a certain point, because otherwise the thing started getting unstable and would rock around the place. So I powered up to this instability point. Still not slowing down. I'm seeing the end of the runway rushing towards me, thinking, oh, I'm going off the end of the runway here. This is going to be embarrassing. So, you know, powered up even more. It, it slowed down a little bit, but I still I, I went over uh, this cable and barrier at the end of the runway, off onto the grass. And as I went over this barrier, 
uh, both the outrigger wheels got ripped off. You know, one ended up pointing forwards, and one ended up. I think it came off and was uh, it's, uh, it was on the side of the runway. So now I'm in a high speed bicycle. Um, heading towards the A1 and as she started to slow down at that particular point and um, as she started slowing down it started rocking and I thought oh we're going to flip um, and that I guess if a wind tip dug in yeah, it could be dug yeah. in and so I, I thought about ejecting at that particular point and how point. fast are you going at this point? well I'd slowed down from about 100 knots about 100 miles an hour or so um, and at this point now we're making this sort of decision we were down at about I don't know must have been 30 mile an hour something like, you know so it's like yeah. a, it's like a high speed no a, a reasonably does, low it doesn't speed sound much does it but if you go upside down you're going to die there's a big bubble canopy so if the aeroplane had flipped over at that particular point I'd have been crushed in the uh, in the seat uh, and uh, conversely as well if I'd initiated an ejection and she started flipping oh, God. I could have ejected into the ground as well so I thought I will just and the, one squadron Harrier, the one, one squadron hangar was over there wasn't yeah, it the one you could have hangar. ended up sticking out the well, side of it yeah so have you seen hot shots <laughs> where, <laughs> where he ends up through the wall and with the antlers on I had visions of appearing through a wall in one squadron with a little helmet and uh, a set of antlers that I picked up on the way through and uh, so eventually she starts slowing down it, she starts um, it becomes unstable because those outrigger wheels aren't there I remember she hit on the left hand side it was quite a big bang flipped and hit on the right hand side and the wing snapped on the, uh, towards the end on the right hand side and just slid to a halt at that particular point and uh, I turned the engine off <sighs> and sat there and went <laughs> Oh, <laughs> you know, at that point, can I do that twelve ship hovering thing? <laughs> so we did. My flight commander did mention that a bit later on. So I shut the thing down, um, uh, got out the aeroplane, you know, made the seat safe because the seat has pins in it. You know, the, the ejection seat. Okay. So you make the seat safe by putting the pins in, which creates a mechanical lot. So a fireman treading in there couldn't accidentally oh, right, know, set yeah. the seat off or anything. And uh, so I walked, uh, and you know, so I got out, didn't really know what to do at this particular point, so I started walking off towards one squadron. Meanwhile, Jarbo again, <laughs> meanwhile, all of the guys who were doing that 12 ship Harrier no. were briefing in one squadron, <laughs> and they'd heard the crash alarm go off, so they all rushed outside. And uh, I was walking forlornly <laughs> off the side of the runway. To me, it's just that image, isn't it? <laughs> of people briefing with the window there. <laughs> <laughs> just smashes past. It was, off onto the A1. He was in Cameron, and apparently he'd gone, he, he was you know, using a pointer, and he got to the bit where he went, now safety. No, 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 no. There's just been a crash outside. You do see me. Big set of eyes crashing in front of them. But I do remember there was one thing uh, that did, it kind of broke the ice when I was walking away from the aeroplane. And uh, it was Arnie Palmer. And uh, he came up to me and he went, All right, Goddard. I went, Hello, mate. Uh, what have you been up to? <laughs> I said, uh, Just crashed an aeroplane. He went, Oh, yeah. So it was chuffing lucky although he used a different word you didn't hit that fire engine and I turned around and one of the fire engines had stopped about a foot in front of the uh, in front of the aeroplane <laughs> <laughs> so it looked like I just braked before it had hit it <laughs> I started laughing at that point and then had a massive cry um, and uh, you know I, I walked in and the boys went well, what happened I said well I, I screwed it you know I shut the throttle and, the, and they went mm, let you know let the board of inquiry sort that out and actually I was 
kind of exonerated, I guess, because the point you made, Parker, this caption, no one knew that yeah. there was a weight on wheels timer for this particular caution. And they'd always, always, always told us to abort a takeoff if that flaps caution came on. Um, there was one person, I remember Johnny Earl actually, they did a, a uh, questionnaire around the whole force. And he knew it. And he knew, having just come out of his, in, uh, you know, whatever it was, uh, B1 yeah. instructors thing. Um, and so uh, they, I think they either changed it or changed well, it. Well, they did. So I think, because I remember, I, I was in the OCU at the time when you went off the end of the runway. I was peering out the runway at your jet thinking, oh, poor goddess. <laughs> you know, I could see your big eyes as you were walking back, across the, back, back, back across the pan. But I think uh, what happened, the caution prior to that, when you hadn't got that selected, was that you had the audio warning, so a real sort of like a fire engine or an ambulance going off in your headset at the same time as the as the caption coming on, and it, it you know it was called an attention getter, and that's exactly what it did, it, except that you know in this particular case on this particular landing, it's normal that you would get that attention getter, so it was just a really weird position that you'd find yourself the aeroplane screaming at you with a red caption flaps uh, and yet it was normal and uh, I think what they did is they then post your accident your um, they let's call it an incident post your massive accident your unfortunate incident let's call it an unfortunate incident yeah they um, the incident we won't talk about again I think they uh, they took away the audio part and yeah. so the caption would come on and it was only if you yeah. had stole flap selected but they hadn't travelled that you got the audio. Anyway, that you're right, that is a bit too technical. Way too technical. Way too but, you know, it was one that I, you know, I felt at the time. And so did you have to go to, like, a panel of a board of inquiry or well, something? Well, yeah, or? so they set up what was termed a unit inquiry. Um, you know, the, the, the thing is, if anything like that, you, go, you have to go and do a simulator check, you have to go and do a, a two-seat check. Um, but the squadron were brilliant, and and I've used this a lot of time when I've been giving lectures on you know uh, flight safety, these sorts of things. Um, the squadron were brilliant. They flew a jet over, a two seater over, picked me up. Um, I think it was you know first thing the next morning because it was quite late on the uh, uh, on the day that it actually happened. Flew me back to Germany. Um, did the sims right there and then um, and then devised a package of you know, maybe a couple of trips in a two-seater just to make sure that it wasn't any other reason you yeah. know, clearly I got out the aeroplane and told them what it was um, and then uh, when they did the inquiry you know it matched up with what I said and they were happy that I'd done the you know the requisite yeah. you're still in therapy though aren't you oh yeah yeah. But that's why I talk about it I'm and I bet they were delighted with the Harrier that you yeah. were yeah you dropped off one squadron yeah. and gave them a Harrier yeah. Yeah. Exactly. albeit it's on the grass it's on the grass <laughs> missing that's what I wanted <laughs> yeah. uh, it was fine well, engineers this is sort of a cathartic period isn't it yeah, yeah. Me to go. Come on then, but I think actually before we go I think there is something we've all got in common I'm going to talk about mine in just a second. Goddard is talking about his. He's talking about, spoken about <laughs> his. Uh, but we've all been off the end of a runway, haven't we? Yes, that's fair. That's right. <laughs> when did you go off the end of a runway? Oh, well, let's hang on a second. <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe we should. No, Dunks, Dunks, no. Nick. You're, you're, yeah, I think you're Hawks, isn't it? Yeah. I was oh, I know this one. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> so uh, it was my third solo at Chivna. So I'd so the, um, the the training we spoke about before. I'd gone through training. I went to do my advanced training on the Hawk down at Chivna uh, in uh, North Devon. And um, so it was that was a belter of a place, wasn't yeah. it? Was a great place, great Lovely. place, and it was a beautiful day. There was hardly a breath of wind. Saunton Sound, right next door to a, a place where you were flying a jet at twenty-one. 
yeah. 20 years old. Yeah. Amazing. So, um, and so part of the, the course, you get a number of solo flights, so you learn something and then you go and practice on, on your own. And this was my third solo flight to go practice whatever it was. As I said, it was a beautiful day. Taxied out to the end of the runway. I um, powered the jet up, sat on the end of the runway. What were we flying? Uh, Hawks. Hawks. So a Hawk uh, T1. And the, um, the runway actually at Chivan is not particularly long. So it's about 6,000 feet long, this runway, which sounds quite a lot. It's a mile, but actually... So what Doug is doing now is what we term as an excuse matrix. <laughs> I see. You, you set the excuses up early before the actual incident. Well, no, I, I, don't, I, I don't think I've got any excuses. <laughs> but uh, but the, it definitely has a factor. <laughs> so... Um, uh, and I hadn't taken into account you know, 6,000 foot runway, 9,000 foot runway, who cares, it's a runway. So <clears throat> I powered the, the jet up on the end and off I went and uh, it was full of fuel. You're supposed to, I think you rotated uh, the nose wheel off at 90 and then you, you flew the aeroplane off at 120. So at 90 knots, uh, going down the runway now, I pulled back on the stick and nothing happened. So I pulled back a little bit more and the aeroplane just sort of started to rock like this. So I pulled a bit more at it's still nothing really happening, so uh, I think, well, I'll just stop. So uh, I, I put the, uh, the stick forward, the nose goes back onto the ground, I shut the throttle, and I start braking. Um, and at this point, I realise how short a 6,000-foot runway is, because I've probably accelerated up to, I don't know, about 140, 150 knots in this process that I'm trying to get the aeroplane to, to go flying. Uh, and, um, and it won't. So now I've got around about two and a half thousand feet of runway left doing when it gets back on the runway 130 knots so I just stand on the brakes and I think this isn't going to stop and uh, there's a barrier so a big uh, net at the end of the runway and I think well was it up already it was barrier. up yeah. uh, I think it was up already yeah it would have been yeah, yeah. Um, I think, take off I think yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think it wasn't in the Harrier because if ah. that barrier had been up for me in the, in the GR 5 and oh. 7 the wire at the top of the barrier would decapitate. There you go. Yeah, so <coughs> that, was, yeah. that wire was the one. That <coughs> so barriers aren't much use for Harriers then? No. no. Well, this, you know, this I hit this barrier at 90 knots, which is pretty fast for, for a barrier, so about 100 miles an hour. Um, into a big net. Into a big net, and uh, there's a big grass expanse beyond it. And normally what happens when you hit the barrier, because normally you don't hit it that fast, um, is they say that you're trapped in the canopy because the net gets stuck. But I hit it so fast... The whole thing went over the back of the canopy. So, you know, in a very similar way, and it's just such a surreal fe- feeling, but a similar way to God is, you know, I come to a stop. So you had this huge deceleration, come to a stop, and then all you can hear is the jet is, is still going. Now, I should have shut it down on the runway, but I, I hadn't got the forethought to do that. So the, the engine, Is it still providing thrust at this point? Residual thrust, yeah. yeah it's at idle. So I'm not at full bound, I'm at idle. But you can just hear the jet noise, so I shut the engine down and made the seat safe, uh, exactly as God has said, opened the canopy, unstrapped. And it's weird, you know, I think... Quiet. Everything's quiet. Just hear some birds singing. Everything's all right, so... But the, the jet has sunk into the ground because it's, you know, it's quite... Um, it's a heavy aeroplane. It just sinks into the grass by a roundabout. It's probably moment. quite sandy around there as well. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, so why did it not, not take off? I don't know. Did, did anyone find out? You're a big unit, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've had an extra Weetabix for breakfast. I don't know. No, they, they do say that there is um, 
a, uh, a condition where the hawk can have a tail stall that it's been known to happen occasionally. Now, whether that happened or whether I screwed something Pilot up, mishandling, probably, probably the latter. Yeah. Probably the latter. Throwing that all the way up. Exactly. But it, it, it's a, such an unusual one for such a routine thing. Exactly. So you've, exactly as God is, you know, is describing uh, on one of the earlier stories, it's kind of like, well, this is odd. So but I'm perfectly fine. I've shut the engine down. I got out of the aeroplane and then I walked back. It had gone quite a long way because I'd been going so fast. So I walked, I didn't know what to do. So I walked back to the end of the runway um, and now I can see a fire engine coming down the runway towards me, but he's come on at the other end. So he's got a mile to do. So I took my helmet off and I put that on the ground and I waited. Uh, and uh, the fire engine... Set fire to the, to the, uh, the aeroplane. <laughs> Burn the evidence. Burn the evidence. <laughs> I reckon I've got about a minute. <laughs> Throw a dead bird in the engine. <laughs> Full of gas, yeah, beating a seagull against the... This fire engine came screeching to a, a halt on the other side of the runway. So, uh, and the fireman got out and looked at the aeroplane. He was just looking at the aeroplane. And nothing else. And so I thought, well, this is strange. <laughs> so I wandered over to him and I said, hiya, um, I'm the pilot and uh, I've shut the engine down. The seat's safe, but I can't remember if I made the canopy safe. I'll be honest with you, I, I, I don't know. And he looked at me and he said, where's the other one? And I said, what, what other one? The other pilot, where's the other pilot? I said, no, no, it's just me. He went, oh, okay. And he said, go and stand over there. Like I, like I was a naughty boy. <laughs> so I went back to where I'd been standing, you know, before. And they went about their fireman bit. Now, about, you know, a minute behind that, there's an ambulance now coming down the runway. Uh, and so I saw the ambulance and I was stood there on the runway. Ambulance comes screeching to a halt. And the guy comes out and he goes, he gets out and he comes up to me and goes, calm down. <laughs> and I said, I am calm. And he went, right, get in the ambulance. He was like, get in the back of the van. <laughs> so, so I went, okay. So I got in the back of the van and they had the blue light on the ambulance and there was no one in the back with me. There was just these two drivers in the front. And I can remember this clear as day, a little glass viewing panel from there through to me. So they put me in the back of the ambulance and I don't know why, I guess, you know, you don't know why you react to certain things and why they, they, they you know, fire you up a bit. But the guy got on the radio and he said, uh, Med Centre, Med Centre, yeah, this is the ambulance, sir. We've got the casualties in the back of the van. And I, and I thought, so I knocked on the window. And they both looked round and I said, um, I'm not a casualty. And he said, what? I'm not a casualty, I'm perfectly fine. And he went... You're a casualty. <laughs> so he told me I was a casualty. And I did this twice. Again, he got on the radio and he said, you know... the Dog with a bone. I, I was <laughs> And... Uh, Remember that recoursing. <laughs> anyway... Immaturity. So the, the interesting thing I found about it was that, you know, the, the psychology of it was that... I, I went and I took the fireman a case of beer then afterwards to say thanks for, you know, for coming and getting me. And That's I said... Don't label across the top, I'm not a casualty. <laughs> no, that was for the ambulance driver. So, but the the fireman and I said, look, I'm I'm interested. Why why did you say where's the other one? And it turns out that sadly, about six weeks before that, there'd been an accident where a guy had turned back 
and, and, and stalled yes. the airplane and oh, crashed on shore finals. Yeah. And one guy, unfortunately, um, burned to death. Uh, and so they were so fired up about there being some naturally, you know, was there someone still left in the airplane? They just needed to know that, that people were all right. And equally, I, I spoke to the, uh, the ambulance driver. And again, his psychology of it, he, I said, why did you tell me to calm down? When He said, well, I saw your helmet next to you on the runway and I assumed that you'd thrown it to the floor in a rage. I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, but that was there. So it's really interesting as to, in stressful situations, to see how different people react. I've, I've always used that incident of mine, like I said, I've used it in lectures, all sorts of things. Um, in fact, we had an incident uh, when I was stationed while I up at Ossiemouth uh, just last year where one of the guys went off the end of the runway uh, in a typhoon in the Czech Republic. It was brilliant to be able to go and put an arm around him and say, hey, look, we've all done it, mm. you know? And because one of the things you're fighting the whole time, I think, JB, is, uh, you know, like I guess I was at the time, you know, the ego of... Yeah, personal pride. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough to go and fly in Farnborough. Why aren't I flying in Farnborough? And then actually beaten down a bit and go, you're probably not as good as you actually think. Yeah. Um, and so to be able to use that and have that sort of, you know, the balloon punctured every now and again, um, was a really good thing. The one thing that I didn't do, though, did, did so when that was happening, did did you feel like time slowed down? I've got my theory on this. No, no, I didn't. Thinking, I felt thinking back on it, I can remember every single microsecond of it. So in terms of remembering it, maybe it's because I've told the story a few times. But that whole point about you know maybe stuff does slow down. It didn't at the time. You know, I, just I felt wrestling all is. I can remember about it is trying to. So I can remember trying to think, right, thinking, right, I'm going to stop the aeroplane, and but I don't remember anything until I was in the barrier. I don't remember my thought process from, and it probably wasn't very long. We're probably only talking five or six seconds, I suppose, from actually then off the end of the runway into the barrier, come to a, 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 a halt, and then I can remember being in the, you know, I can remember being in the aeroplane. The other thing as well, you just screamed. Yeah, <laughs> but, so, but this is the point. So I always remember the one of the coolest stories I heard was, um, uh, and, and what's the what's the movie where the guy says, um, you know, uh, cancel the squash, get, not six aces high, is it? Okay, so, yeah, yeah, a war movie. Yeah, yeah it's so. one of the war movies where, as the guy's uh, you know crashing in the Battle of Britain, uh, he says something on the radio, and uh, you know, his, I think it's his girlfriend at the time realizes that he's crashing. And I'd always heard this story at Binbrook, which was one of the Lightning bases. And I don't know why it's an Australian exchange guy, but he's flying the, the Lightning. And up in the air traffic control tower, um, the, you know, the guys used to do what they termed the rotational takeoff. So, you know, they'd get airborne, put the gear up, uh, put the wheels up, get to a certain speed, and then go hard back on the stick so the Lightning looked like it was just going directly straight up. Um, it was called a rote, wasn't it? The, uh, the rotational takeoffs. And if you got it wrong, people could crash. You know, if they pulled too early, you could lose the lift off the wings. It could go into a stall. And this is apparently what happened to this Australian guy. So he pulls hard on the uh, on the on the stick. Jet goes like this, but then flat plates at the same height. You know, and just continues in, with the wings rocking in this direction. And from the view of the tower, apparently goes behind the hang- the back of this hangar. They go, this guy's crashing. They hit the crash alarm. And, but as they hit the crash alarm and everyone's scrambling to the, en- the fire engine and the ambulance, they see this thing staggering into the air, you know, and, and the guy gets away with it as it, as it pulls away. 
And apparently over the radio, this guy in this thick Australian accent goes, OK, Jesus, I have control. <laughs> and, and says something really cool. And I thought, you know, I'd always assume that if I was going to crash, I'd say something really cool. And when they gave me the transcript of running off the end of the runway, my call sign was Raphael 620 at the time, not a punchy call sign, but uh, because I'd, uh, I'd uh, you know, crossed over from Europe. And uh, there's a point where it says, Raphael 620, do you have a problem? Um, and it, your, the transcript says, you know, a jet disappears off in a cloud of dust or something like that. Um, Raphael 620, do you have a problem? And instead of, okay, Jesus, I have control or anything like that, it was inverted commas, heavy breathing. When <laughs> <laughs> you listen to it, all I've done is, 620, do you have a problem? All I did was, ah, <laughs> ah, <laughs> over the radio. How cool am I? <laughs> I think that is a great place to leave it. Mm-hmm. Awesome, boys. Well, uh, well done. That's the second podcast. So much for the half an hour podcasts. Yeah, I think that's uh, there is uh, right this second one hour. Oh, look at that! Look at that! Right, this second wow. one hour on the nose. Time slowed down. Yeah. Well, right. Well, we'll see you soon, I guess. Uh, right. Thanks a lot, gents. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.